I love the technical aspect of filmmaking. And if you do it in a, with the technology that we have, I love that. But I think those don't endure, or at least maybe in 20 years, some of those will. But this one endures because while it does have the spectacle, it has those landscapes, desert, the the visuals. It's the, the heart of the story is these characters and the relationships between them. Close Watch, episode 10. Rob here. You can find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as crookedtable.com. If you can give us a rating or review on Apple and Spotify, that would really uh, help us get the word out about this show. On this episode, Catherine Gonzalez from Latinx Lens joins us to talk about 1999's The Mummy. We will talk about Brendan Fraser. We'll talk about this movie's legacy, its sequels, what maybe they should have done with Rick and Evie after this film ended. And it was a blast getting a chance to talk to Catherine about this movie. Let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump right into our conversation about 1999's The Mummy. Many men have wasted their lives in the foolish pursuit of Harmonoptra. Most have never returned. I think you found something. Unleash the creature that we have feared for more than 3,000 years. Is the bringer of death. He will never stop. This summer, Universal Pictures invites you on an extraordinary adventure. Beyond life and time. Welcome to Close Watch, the show where we get to know our guests through the movies they love. This episode, I am honored to welcome to the show, Catherine Gonzalez of Latinx Lens. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So I've already had Rosa on the show. She and I talked about Salt of the Earth, like I think early last year. It's all time is relative these days. Yeah, it's it's all like either it was last week or, or six years ago or yesterday. I don't even know anymore. So it's so it's good to finally have the other half of Latinx Lens on the show. But tell people who don't know what you what you all do over there and introduce yourself. Yes. Well, I we started the Latinx Lens podcast in 2020. Rosa put out a tweet about wanting to highlight Latino representation in film and television. I myself had been wanting to explore my Mexican background, Mexican-American background, and just I had never really done that. And so I, it was just the right time. And I reached out to her. And then we went down this journey where we highlight Latino... Latinx filmmakers, actors, we pick three of their films and dive into their filmography and if we have any experiences from our own background and also just trying to figure out who they are. And most of it's just highlighting them because sometimes they don't get highlighted in mainstream media. But it's been a very, very fun learning experience for me just diving 
into these movies. And then we also do like our Latinx Lens Recommends where we've done like older films and that have Latina representation. And also we just do regular uh, film reviews. So we can also add in our diverse film criticism. So it's been a journey. It's been fun. We It's a little over a year now and there's been so much that has come up. And I don't know, I, I can't be more grateful for that experience and that Rosa, you know, picked me to go along with this journey and it's been so fun. So. And I love that, like, like you were saying, I love that you hit both sides of it. You, you, you know, highlight Latinx filmmakers and actors and stuff, but also giving your perspective on the same movies that everyone else is talking about. But maybe you, you two have something specific to bring to the table to, to bring, bring your side of the story as opposed to, and I say this as someone who is half Cuban, Spanish, half Italian, but yeah. mostly identifies as a, as a white guy. As opposed to like every podcast where it's just like, here's a bunch of dudes talking about the same superhero movie. So it's, it's I love that you're bringing your perspective on you know, these underrepresented filmmakers, but also what everyone else is talking about, but putting your two cents into the into the mix. Yeah. And the movie I chose is, you know, not Latinx based. And it's right. and a lot of the films I grew up watching were not Latino based. And so sometimes I also felt like an imposter syndrome, like who am I to talk about this? But I do have an experience that is unique and from my Mexican-American experience. And so it's been fun really diving into, you know, that the Selena quote of the movie, like not being Mexican enough, not being American enough, but like realizing all, you know, from both angles and like, I don't know, I'm, I'm happy that we're able to review non-Latinx films too and show people we're not just about that. So right. <laughs> we love exactly. a variety of films. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So uh, just getting to this film that we're going to talk about. So when I reached out to you, I don't remember if you said The Mummy 1999, the movie we're going to talk about. I don't know if you said that right away or if we built up to it. I feel like it came out pretty fast, though. So tell people what, why you selected The Mummy 1999, directed by Stephen Summers. And what was your first experience watching this movie? Yes, I. it's a very nostalgic experience for me, The Mummy. I, I must have been 11 years old when I saw it because I went back and, and saw when it came out on VHS DVD because I didn't go to the theater regularly until I was in high school. So I know I must have seen it on DVD or VHS. <laughs> um, I'm just aging myself. But it, it came out actually in September of 1999 on, on those platforms. So I want to say I probably our family rented it and then I saw it. And I remember just falling in love with it because I I also had wanted to be an archaeologist <laughs> when I was younger. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the term caliche, but we had like a caliche road, which is basically just little rocks. So our driveway was full of that. And I think my parents got some rubble or something from like a torn down uh, bank. Or I don't know what. So I remember our road was always filled with like bricks that had like wording on them so I would try to like go on like the weekend and like dig them up wow, cool. and yeah and then I always was fascinated with like Egyptian history and all that stuff and I've always been a fan of just learning more about history and it's probably why I have an obsession with like also period piece films and, and television so when I saw the mummy it mixed in all those elements that I had already been exploring in such a fun way. And then also just the elements of it, the the comedic aspect, the romantic aspect, the action adventure aspect, the strong female character, even before I even knew what that meant, where she was nerdy, but also held her own and spoke her mind and was the one going and, and leading, leading her brother and Rick O'Connell in this journey. And so, I don't know, I just gravitated towards it. And then ever since then, I've watched it over the years so many times. I've lost count. Now that we have Letterboxd, I'm documenting it. So I think, I don't know how many watches I'm on 
this year, but even even before this, I was I just watched it last week because it's such a comfort film. And then I watched it again for this episode. Not that I don't already have everything memorized, but you know, I don't know. It's just a film that I, I appreciate every time I watch it. And now that I'm a little bit, I, I went to film school and I, I knew more about the art of filmmaking in that sense. I've also appreciated in different ways I've, as I've gotten older and be like, oh, wow, they were able to do that and this and that. And like the way the choreography staged and the comedic timing and, and everything, it just makes me appreciate it even more. Because I think for the most part, it holds up pretty well. And not all movies that have been made hold up 20 years later that well. So I feel like it's one of those favorite movies, too, that if someone watches it for the first time in 2021, they're probably going to have a similar reaction to me, hopefully. <laughs> but it's not one of those like cringy movies you look back on and from your childhood and like, oh, no, I never feel that way watching it over and over again. So, yeah, it's it's one that. Well, first of all, when when it came out, I was in I was midway through high school. And this is definitely one that my family and I saw in theaters. And I remember it specifically, too, because it came out like the first week of May when movies like this didn't come out like that or like it felt like the first film that really started the summer movie season in the beginning mm -hmm. of May. Uh, it, and I think so that was a little bit of a turning point. And, and to your point, I feel like this is also one of the you one of the the films that keyed up the explosion of the swashbuckling genre that I think happened a lot with Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. a few years later. And then the year before this, The Mask of Zorro. But that wasn't as big. That didn't didn't make as much of an impact at the box office as this did. I think that it, it's that throwback to old school Hollywood adventure. And I, I, it sounds like that's mostly what you were responding to. Not so much the fact that this is the Universal Monsters movie, but really more taking that concept into a different genre. Were you really at that point? Did you have much familiarity with the original Universal Monsters or were you just was that basically a blank slate for you? Yeah, it was a blank slate. So I do have to acknowledge that maybe maybe having that that lack of knowledge probably tiered, uh, catered my experience a little bit differently. So I don't know if I had seen the other ones, how I would have reacted to this one. But in terms of I, I just feel like it is like you mentioned, it's because I, I, I was trying to think of how to describe why I love it so much and even try to understand why I love it so much. Because I think <laughs> even as a film critic, I, I've found that talking about like my favorite movies, like this is the first time I'm talking about The Mummy on a podcast because I've kept it so close to my chest because it's such a meaningful film for me that sometimes I'm like, oh no, am I going to be able to do justice to even how I feel? Do I even know why I feel this way <laughs> with these sort of movies right. that are so close to you? Because they're not only tied to that it's a good film, but they're tied to those memories of, you know, growing up and watching this for the first time at 11 years old. I don't, I don't know how many previous films I had seen then that were on this scale. Pirates ended up being one of my favorites as well. That came out a few years later. The Lord of the Rings also coming out later. So I feel like this really set the, maybe the, the path of me loving action adventure, fantastical films and based also in a little bit of history, you know? So yeah, but I didn't know anything about the original series. I've read about it now, but I still haven't seen those movies. I did see The Mummy that they tried doing with Tom Cruise and I didn't like it. So <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had notes about that. Like I was curious if you had seen that and what your thoughts. And then I have the other show, Franchise Detours, where we talk about movie series. And so part of me was like, well, do I need to save The Mummy for that? But then I don't feel like I hear anyone talk about the mummy tomb of the dragon emperor at all and mm -hmm. then I, I don't feel like the mummy returns is held in the same 
in the same esteem. What what are your thoughts on the sequel? Do you think it it matches this? And then we'll and then we'll we'll turn right back around to the original. Yeah, I actually love The Mummy Returns. I hold it just as I think The Mummy slightly wins in esteem, but it is also very nostalgic to me for me because that was my first DVD. I remember my brother buying that for me, The Mummy Returns, and then I also remember at the the video store guys when those existed, they they would sell their movie posters that they had got for promotion after a while, like after I'd been out for a while. And I remember going and um, looking through those and I had the movie, The Mummy Returns uh, poster on my wall for a long time. I think it might still be at my ha- my parents' house. I need to get it from them. But yeah, so I remember watching The Mummy Returns just as much like on replay. I would probably do like double features a lot. And I think I think like I've seen it, I don't see it as often as The Mummy now, but I do think like it did keep the spirit of it. I think they did recycle some of the same jokes, but with the kid, I mean, the CGI rock is the one that probably is why it's not held as much because that was pretty bad. But I like the storyline. I love that, you know, Evelyn was part of, you know, Egyptian history. And like, I I liked the new that bringing back, I, I felt very all organic and, and stuff. And then their like Evie and Rick's chemistry is always on point and all the supporting characters I enjoyed. So yeah, I, I really love them. The, 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 the third one, I think I've only seen a few times because yeah, when they replaced Evie, I was just, I don't like when they do that. So Yeah, you can't just swap in Maria Bello for Rachel Weiss and think we're just not going to notice. Yeah, like I wish they would have just left her out, you know. No, yeah. no, I like Maria Bello too. But when you've had Rachel Weiss in this iconic role, like, yeah, you can't fool us guys. Like, I wish it would have just been like, maybe she was off on a trip or they just got caught in this thing. Because yeah. I don't think I would have wanted them to kill her off. But just something that would have made a little bit of movie sense to maybe not have to include someone else replacing right. her. You do the Ocean's 13 thing. Well, oh, Tess Ocean's going to stay behind. We're going to take care of this is personal or whatever. Yeah, because I I, I agree. I think I think that Rachel Weiss and Brendan Fraser's chemistry is essentially like two thirds of what make this movie work, in my opinion. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the, the effects mostly, they're a little dated because it's been over 20 years and there's, certain elements of it that work better than others. But I think ultimately what keeps people coming back is the connection between Rick and Evie and their their chemistry, but and specifically Rachel Weiss's character. Because I've noticed in the last few years, this movie keeps popping up on film yeah. Twitter. People like love this movie. And I feel like it's mostly female film critics even. And I wonder how much of that has to do with Evie being this, you know, pre-Hermione Granger yes. making smart girls in movies, smart women, cool in movies and making them tough and badass and, and all that stuff. Uh, how much of your your connection to this film is Evie the character that you that you like relate to the most? Yeah, I think even before I even realized it, I I, I think I, I, I really gravitated towards her because like I said, she was, I'm going to say nerdy, but she was, she was wanting to try to get into this group and she was getting rejected and, and, and also, but that she broke through after the, the she solves this crime uh, or that crime uh, legend or whatever. And, and so I think that was part of it. And then also the fact that she was just a well-rounded character in the sense where she was funny she also got drunk <laughs> she she had the 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 side where she was falling in love with uh, Rick O'Connell but didn't want to admit it to herself so there was like she was a very three-dimensional character that unfortunately I didn't realize was going to be rare for the, the next yeah. 
you know, however long. And I think that's why she holds up so well is because she has so many of those different elements that I relate to because I have all those sides as a, as a female. And but she she I think also what works well is like Rick's character, too. He never is like the dynamic between them so balanced in a way. And I, I think I appreciated that before I even knew I should appreciate it because He's never condescending to her. He's never, while he does try to protect her, it's that makes sense because like a mummy's chasing after her because he right. he needs her to be sacrificed, you know? So I think anyone would have put her in, in, in the room to make sure no one gets her. Right. Um, but There's he also kiss on her too when they first meet, but you could chalk that up to the fact of like, oh, he's literally like mental, maybe, maybe mentally not there because he's about to be hanged and yeah. And he's behind bars. So yeah, yeah. you know, like if, if it was your last moment on earth, what would you do? <laughs> You'd probably right. want to get a, a, you know, a kiss from someone. Well, Rachel Weiss uh, as Evie is not only endearing and, and funny, but she's, a, she's adorable in this. Like she's, she's easily the most charismatic, like the MVP of this movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, she is. And I, well, I, I would say that Brendan Fraser though, for me, they're, they're kind of, yeah, I would even say for me, I, I guess, I don't know if this is just the nostalgic element like the the nostalgic element of of loving this film so much that maybe I've made them equal <laughs> because I guess in in my relationship now that I have we're equal and so I guess I just want to see them like so maybe I'm projecting now as I've gotten older well, uh, I, I'm I was saying as far as their presence in the film but yeah in the in the dynamic and in the, in the movie I think yeah. that yeah they are their relationship is pretty equal you get some really mo cute moments too, where and, like he's trying to talk to her and he's trying to take an interest in what she's doing and he feels awkward and when you know yeah. the other guy's like looking at him yeah. he's like what what are you yeah doing? Like, like, yeah getting all fucking her yeah yeah when he steals the tools and yeah. <laughs> it's so cute yeah yeah then there's some things that I, I guess i took for granted too with their performance that you just marvel at every time you watch it too or at least i do because there's some moments that could could fall flat and they both just make them work because like you mentioned the charisma of the of the of the actors and these performances but like brendan fraser does a lot of he plays comedic he plays leading man he plays action hero like that's not easy to do because mm -hmm. it subsequently as i've you know watched a lot more films it doesn't always work and you don't always get that performance from a leading man or a leading lady and so it's actually very special i think is why maybe also, I appreciate this movie even more so because every year it holds up and it's like, oh, I wish there was more of these types, <laughs> you know, because they come along every once in a while and, and that will endure, I guess, time and stuff. It's it's very much of a, an Indiana Jones style character. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then also the the like the production design and also the costuming just so iconic like even just looking at it from 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 today like I still love all that it feels so I don't know just like movie-esque but also doesn't feel like you're watching like costumes put in or like the production di design also doesn't it, it's a lot of practical and like yeah there's CGI mixed in but it feels like you could be there and I think when I first watched it just like I was like oh yeah I can Maybe I can go do this. Maybe it's real. Because when you're little, you still think that maybe movies can be real. What, what I really like about it, too, it's a, a fulcrum point between classical Hollywood storytelling and modern blockbuster. Would you say this movie is actually like low-key, majorly influential on modern blockbusters? Yeah, I think so. I think it was probably, I bet a lot of the modern blockbusters, especially, you know, closer to 
to when the film was like a little bit after it was released, I probably followed this blueprint because it was just like the action adventure formula that if you do it right, it works. And 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 Pirates uh, of the Caribbean did that really well, too. And that was just a few years after and hitting that sweet spot, I think, of just having a little bit of everything. But you have to have this overarching like mission and then you throw in like the supporting characters and just, yeah, I think I think there's a, a lot of modern blockbusters that try to emulate this formula. I know there was one this year that a lot of people were comparing it to, but I do not think that it was worthy to be compared to The Mummy. Everyone was like comparing it to Jungle Cruise, plus, I mean, The Mummy plus Pirates of the Caribbean and I was like, I don't know, hold my beard. Let me let me watch this before I see what everyone's talking about. And it has the spirit of it, but I think it's different. It's I think it follows it too closely. Like you were mentioning, this one took elements of Indiana Jones and some of like the old Hollywood-esque like dynamics and stuff. But I feel like the Jungle Cruise was having like it was Emily Blunt's character with the brother and then the love interest. Like it just felt like. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just too close to it, you know, so I can't I can't hold anything up to the mummy because it's just too close to me. So I, I will like I will acknowledge my bias in that as well. How do you think John Hannah's Jonathan fits within this larger story? And why do you think he's key to making this whole thing stick together? Because I, I feel like he he's the one that's least often uh, remarked upon. Yeah. And he, and he's a big part of the story. Like he's actually one of my favorites. And I, I think as I got older too, I understood more of the jokes because I didn't get everything when I was 11. And some of those references that I didn't understand were coming from Jonathan's character. And I like even chuckle still like from some of his uh, lines that he says to Evie. And I think it's I, I think it holds up and and I don't know why people don't give him as much credit or, or highlight it. But I think also as someone who had two brothers growing up and they were the ones that that taught me a lot of things. I was the baby and they were older. It was very endearing and it's still endearing to see that brother sister relationship on screen and how they take care of each other and how sometimes you have to maybe one's not as bright as the other and that thing. And and then also could be mixed in alongside the romantic element and then also the action adventure element. And on paper, it would seem like that might be too many things for a movie, but to, you know, hand his credit, I think it's because he brings a lot to that character and makes it makes him endearing, especially Evie and his relationship. It's just so fun to to watch. And he's the one that helps them at the end reading the book of life and, and getting that sorted. So I think, I don't know, it's a side character, but a, a supporting character, but also very essential to the film. And maybe it's the brother sister element that is why I love it so much, just because I could relate to it as having my two older brothers. Yeah, absolutely. This movie is essentially a, a three-hander with the three yeah. of them. It, it, it's also, in a way, Jonathan embodies an ongoing theme that I was noticing watching it this time. How many characters in the film are trying to prove themselves or trying to, to demonstrate that they're that they're special, that they're worth something? You have Jonathan, who started starts the story by bringing Evie that key. Yeah. And it's like, please tell me, tell me that I found something that I'm not. Yeah, I, I, I like to drink too much and I'm a goof. but please tell me that I actually did something right this time. Yeah. Evie trying to get in with the Bembridge scholars, even Winston, who's like, I want to go out in a blaze of glory. I want to make my mark. Do you think that there's any connection, like maybe even subliminally that keeps people coming back to this movie that like, I because we, we can all relate to that. Like, I want to feel like I'm special. Like I did made a difference in the world thing because I never really noticed that element. So 
so prominently as on, uh, as with this last viewing the i guess the we we all see ourselves in a in all of those characters and maybe usually in movies it's just the main character or maybe the another supporting character that you can like root for root, root for but in in this sense yeah you you're rooting for everybody and and then even when they unleash the mummy you're just rooting for mankind i hope they 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 get out of it but then also it's interesting because even arnold Vosley, who plays him and then a picture show Velasquez, who's Anaxun Amun. Like you also, while they're obviously trying to take over and, and get there, they're also just trying to get back to each other. So they also have that element that you're talking about. And so, and so just by chance, of course, it's because they were having an affair and they got, they got sentenced to this, to this death, but like also you feel for them too. And I love quote unquote, the villains who are more three-dimensional because it blurs the line of like, who do you really want to root for? This one's pretty straightforward. Like I do, I'm rooting for the team, you know, Rick, Jonathan and, and Evie. But it also is blurred in that sense. And maybe that's why I also have a high standard for my villains nowadays as a film critic, um, because I don't like like just the regular two-dimensional characters in the villain sense. So it feels like these supporting characters also had a lot of depth to them. And everyone was searching for something. And I think you can, whatever you're searching for, whatever time you see this movie, maybe you relate to any one of these characters. So may, yeah, I think that's also part of maybe why it lasts and and why I, over the years, every time I see it, I pull something different from it as well. And I love movies that you can see over and over again. And even a favorite movie like this, I still get something different or I, I hear a joke I hadn't heard before, or maybe hadn't heard the other time I saw it and I gravitated towards that because of whatever is going on in my life. So yeah, I think um, that that probably is um, something to it for, with that with that theme of, of searching for something. Sorry, I went off on a tangent. <laughs> no, no, that's, you know, it was all great. I love it. I, I Yeah, I, I like the, the Emotep storyline. It also feels like an homage to the, the to the old Universal Monster movies. It feels very Dracula-esque, actually. Mm -hmm. like classical, like, like coming back and then, you know, trying to bring your lover back to life. Yeah. And, you know, speaking back to Pirates, which is a pretty mm -hmm. good analog. Yeah. Barbosa. Who just wants just wants to feel? He's like, I just want to taste the tap one. Yeah, I just want to like. And Davy Jones as well. Davy Jones as well. Yeah, yeah. those movies really understand like that formula, like you were speaking of earlier, of getting getting everything right and having having a love story, having awe-inspiring like visuals and, and adventure, but also having it being grounded in emotional. Uh, an emotional motivation from all sides, including the villain. Uh, and I feel like this movie, like the Pirates movies, it has that little bit of of darkness, that little bit of yeah. danger that, again, appeals to, I guess, appeal to 11-year-old cat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Like, uh, what does that say about me? And I guess that's the difference that, like, with them, because I'm a very, maybe this is the reason why I love blockbusters so much, but I, I do feel like there's been, like, modern day this is a modern day blockbuster but i guess in 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 the time that we're in and in, in recent years that they've been trying to emulate that blockbuster formula and i think where the films go astray is that they do more of the action type and think like oh we're gonna we're gonna dazzle them with these visuals and production design and all that which i love i love the technical aspect of filmmaking and if you do it in a with the technology that we have i love that but i think those don't endure or at least maybe in 20 years some of those will but this one endures because while it does have 
the spectacle, it has those landscapes, desert, the the visuals. It's the the heart of the story is these characters and the relationships between them. And, and I think that's what the modern day, some of these blockbusters lack is they forget to infuse those, the characters with the, with the three-dimensional thing and just like little aspects. It doesn't even have to be that much. Like even the Americans in this, like the four of them, you feel for them and they're not really a big part of the story. Just like they got to get sucked up because he needs he, they're essentially there to get sucked up by Imhotep so he can come back to life. But you feel for them too, in a way. And like, and they're coming over here trying to take stuff with, that they're not supposed to. So when you're able to give all your supporting characters a little bit of more life and, and get the audience to feel for them, I think that's what has endured with The Mummy and what lacks in, I guess, modern day blockbusters for the most part. Yeah, yeah, totally. The, the, and the Americans in here are are complete stereotypes. They're basically the cowboys with their guns and, and that whole thing. But but yes, I, I love the mythic quality of it. And I think that, that that all attracts younger viewers. But it's also when you get older and then you watch it and you're like, you're like damn, this is like really good looking cast like across the yeah. world too. Brendan Fraser, yeah. Rachel Weisz, Oded Fair. Sure. Yeah. Oh, we haven't even <laughs> talked about him. Like, yeah, yeah so. I, I loved him as well. And then I love when he comes back in The Mummy Returns. And I, I think I had, yes. I had a crush on him. And I still do probably on both of <laughs> both of these, Brendan Fraser. And yeah, so yeah, just it's such a such an amazing cast. And it's, it, it really is special when you look back at like, there could have been an element of the film that like, might not have lasted, but it does last. So it's endured. And I think because of all those perfect elements that sometimes the film is able to do, cast, production design, music, just the right dynamic between all the actors having to be in sync. Because I think what I love about this film too is like when they're doing the action sequences, it has like this balance of not being super realistic. Like you do know that they've choreographed and, but it feels just enough. It has enough authenticity where it, it, it's like a, a dance that the actors are doing where you you believe them and stuff. Because I think I was bringing it back to the Jungle Cruise. Those that felt very choreographed. And I could tell that was like trying to come, ha, trying to have the tone of like the mummy and the pirates movies. But they these feel very lived in. Like, I believe that Brendan Fraser is Rick O'Connell and all these characters are really fighting and that thing, too. So, yeah, it's all the elements put together in just a magical way, I guess. It, there's also a level of of self-seriousness that this movie I think is lacking in a way. And I think that's a good thing because there are, there is a, there are a lot of elements. This movie obviously is very fantastical, but there's also a lot of, there's also some moments where you have Jonathan deflating the tension and little moments of Rick about to get shot and he pulls him away yeah. just before the bullets hit him. You have Arnold Vosloh who's doing like snake faces. Yeah. Which I, I, I love that the movie, do you, do you think this movie because I I feel that it does. It does. Do you think this movie knows how silly it is, and then that's part of what what has helped it. You know, helped it endure. It helped it keep keep people coming back the, over two decades later. Yeah, and I think it's something that I've learned recently as like I, I as a film critic and just watching a lot of film and television. And I think maybe it's the element that you can tell. It, it's like a balance. Like when they strike this balance of you can tell the actors are just having fun but they're really in their characters. And I feel like you, in this movie, you can tell that maybe they didn't think it was going to be what it is now, but they were having fun doing it. Like I think Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz and like, it just seems like it, it was a good time. Even if there, I know like production had a lot of elements to it and, and, and all that thing that were harsh, but it just feels like they went for it. And, 
and that's really fun. And I think that's what the 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 Tom Cruise money lacked. Maybe is that is like the tone. They went like completely dark and very serious. And I think maybe that was why one of the reasons why it was just like okay, like you're you're trying to make this very realistic, but you're not able to strike that that tone. And this one I think can read either way. Like there's just such a good balance between all that. You know, like you're they're just having fun or you can if you watch it when you're young enough it will be scary or uh like all that i don't know i just keep going back to like the balance of it all especially when you see movies that don't have a balance and and just they weren't able to strike the right tone and this one just nailed it it's funny that that in 2017 they they tried to do the whole dark universe thing and it's the one and only entry in that franchise do you think that if this film had come out let's say in the late 2010s do you think this, or, or even post Iron Man, do you think this would have been like the start of of a shared universe, a new Universal Monsters? Would Rick and Evie have been our connective tissue through all the different monsters? I guess is what I'm asking. Ooh, I don't know because I feel, and this is something I was like writing down as I was prepping, and actually there was like a, a, a Twitter thing I think you liked as well, like a Kaufman thing about movies and how you see them and how that matters a lot. Right. And actually, just hours before, I was thinking about why I haven't talked about this movie, and I think some of it is, and even when there's been like there's been the Brendan uh, Fraser songs coming up, and and people are referencing the Mummy, I try to ignore that sometimes. Like while I love it and I love that it's endured, I also feel like oh, I don't want to see what people who are watching it for the first time in 2021 are going to think about it because like they can never have the 11 year old experience that Kat had, you know, having that be one of her first, first like cinematic action franchise movies or, and so I sometimes hesitate to think if someone has seen 20 Marvel movies and then watches The Mummy for the first time, they might go, meh. You know, because they've had they have all that knowledge of, you know, of seeing those visuals and thinking like, oh, that's it. You know, and and so I don't know. I don't know if it could have worked in the 2010s or even after Iron Man as much as it does now. I want to believe it can because of what I just mentioned in this episode and how there's a lot of these elements that to why it's endured. But I I don't know. After you've watched a lot of stuff, you become desensitized to like really cool stuff. So I don't know. I feel like people that we'd be watching it now would be just be critical of the CG and how it's yes. aged. They had a decent budget, but like, I don't think anyone expected this to be what it was to the point that it came out. And then like the next day, Universal called up Steven Summers like, OK, get us another one because they did a very fast turnaround for that. Yeah. So, yeah two years later. Yeah. 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 And yeah. also, if it had been made in 2010, imagine how much more CGI would have been inserted into the film compared to yeah. the more practical effects that you see in the film. And that's why also it's lasted. I think it lasts or holds up because while there is some of the elements that you talked about, those are far and few in between, you know. So it's more about, you know, like the costume design, the production design that feels very much like uh, believable. But in 2010, I think that was like the heyday, like 20, 2005 to like 2010, even now, like they just were inserting tons of CGI instead of the practical effects. And I've gone back to see some films from those eras and like, I'm like, oof, this does not hold up. <laughs> even though like at the time it was like cutting edge, you know? Yeah. So who knows what the 2010 mummy would have been. It could have been even more CGI and that wouldn't be, you know, why? Well, One of the reasons why I love it so much is because it's so practical. Yeah, I think it, I think it would be the mummy drag uh, tomb of the dragon. Yes, it's easy to look at this movie now and be like, well, it takes forever for the mummy to show up, and it's. But on the other hand, 
if it is an homage to like an older type of movie that doesn't get made anymore or that it didn't get made until this and pirates brought it back now we have jungle cruise and something yeah. like something that tries to do that like period adventure comedy every year or so it, it it's it that feels like a hallmark of the an earlier era of hollywood that fact that they we spend so much time with these characters building up to when they read the book and when Imhotep comes alive. And I, and I really, I, I appreciate that element of it too, that it takes its time getting to that point. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's scarier or when you don't know what they're fighting, you just imagine it. So for me, I think probably being young, I would be like, oh my God, the mummy's going to be crazy. And then you see it open and you're like, oh. And so I, I don't mind that we see him later because I think it's more while the, the villain in this and they're trying to stop him, it's more about the characters and that's I think that's why also they're able to build such good characters and we are able to really root for them because if the mummy comes in right at the beginning, which also I think probably is a sign of like the modern blockbusters too. They try to put the 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 obstacle right at the beginning and you don't really get to go on the journey with characters. And I think that's why sometimes at the end you're like, well, I don't really care if they lived or died. And with this one, you do care about all these characters because you don't see the mummy till later on. So yeah, I think that's that's a good point too. I think it, it it's one of the probably one of the reasons as well why I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You get that whole uh, that whole sequence with Rick at Hamanatra. Yes, years before all of that, where then we where catch up with him in the jail cell. So. One thing about this movie, obviously, that hasn't aged particularly well is I don't know some of the cultural aspects. I'm thinking specifically Kevin J O'Connor as Benny. Not not a great look. Look. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you want to speak to that at all? Like, is that obviously we would not cast a white actor in that role at this point now because we're a little more sensitive about those kinds of things? Yeah, the I hadn't really thought about it, the cultural aspect until actually like a month ago when I saw it again. And in doing the Latinx Lens podcast, I've become a little bit more aware when I'm seeing movies, especially like older movies and even movies today, unfortunately, of those like, oof, did you really do that? And that, if, I think it was like for the after a million of the viewings that I find I, I was I was I read into some of these like not so fun cultural aspects of this film and I'm wrestling with it because on the one hand 1999 but on the other hand I'm like oh like it is a bummer that it does like even even the like the English and the Americans coming to this place and basically thinking that they have the right to come and take yeah, this yeah. book and, and take the city. And then there's like the Egyptian workers who are like the slave labor trying to help them and they get, you know, hit with the salt acid. And like, it's just like, we're actually never given any of the Egyptian perspective only um, in the sense of old dead fair and, and the Egyptologist, but we never are not, none of that's ever questioned. Like, should we be here? Should we not? Like, and then they bring upon this plague to all the people there. So yeah. And then Benny's character. Yeah. I don't think that would fly today either. So Although with characters portraying other characters, I have through the Latinx Lens podcast, I've come to like, if it comes from a place of, you know, like research and like the intent and all that, I'm, I'm not a black and white on that because it's very complex and vice versa, you know, and so that is a bigger conversation. But yeah, I don't, I think there would have probably been a lot of elements changed if this was made in 2021, especially with the hey, we're just Americans and Englishmen coming to take what we think is ours <laughs> from yeah, another country. Yeah, yeah. Killing killing a bunch of the Medjai like, like in a yeah, sequences too. It's not even yeah, thinking not, about it. Yeah. Not a, not a good look. Not a good look. Before we start winding down, is there is there any, is there any moment of the mummy 
that particularly resonates with you or any, any favorite lines or anything you wanted to make sure we covered? Oh man, there's so many, but I'll just keep it brief. I've made peace with, I'm not going to be able to mention everything that I love about this film in this podcast and I'm going to have to live with that. But some that I repeat on a daily basis or a weekly basis is like, patience is a virtue. (laughs) And then not right now, it isn't. Like I can hear the voices in my head. And also you always have me, old mom. Like when Jonathan says that to Evie to make her feel better. And yeah, just like a lot of other ones. I, of course, am blanky right now, but yeah, those are some of my favorite ones that have have endured over the years. I really like, like the I am a librarian scene. So good. There's so many iconic lines in this. Like it's hard to count. Like, And I find myself now when I'm watching it, I just like quoted my head. And I normally don't do that because I think that's annoying. Like if I'm, I'm usually watching this by myself for the millionth time again, but like I'll just be like crafting and having it on and I'm like saying the lines out loud. I'm just like, what am I doing? <laughs> but it's hard not to because I've seen it so much and then like, I just, I, I don't know. It's so fun. Yeah. How has your, your read changed? Does, do you think this is an objectively, objectively, as objectively as you can be, an objectively good movie or is this just a nostalgic? Well, I've probably seen it over 150 times, if not more, because I barely started counting this year of, of like letterbox. But 20 years of me viewing it, I used to put this on during college because I, I would, instead of music, I gravitated towards putting movies. I would watch, I, I, I could, I knew already to study and, and stuff like that. And I still do that. Like just when I'm doing something, I like to have uh, familiar movies on that I know that I don't have to pay too much attention to, but I end up always paying attention to it anyway. So that's what comfort movies are for me instead of like music. I'm more of just putting a movie in the background that I know so much. But yeah, I don't, I'm sorry, I lost my chance. <laughs> I was like, okay. what was the question? I was I was saying, do you, do you think this is an objectively good film? Oh, yeah. Again, or or is or a nostalgic favorite? Yes, yes. Sorry, I got lost in how many times I've seen it. I was also trying to figure that out in prepping for the podcast. And my conclusion is that I think some of my I'm always gonna be nostalgically biased towards it, I think. And so if people bring up concern if they see it for the first time in 2021 and bring up like like the cultural aspect of it, that would be fair criticism. But in terms of just the movies that I gravitate towards that are my favorite. I think this is, and and people who love like the action-y blockbuster type adventure movies, I feel like it's, it it is objectively good, especially knowing more about the filmmaking process as I've gotten older. And just when appreciating the fact that like all these elements had to work so well, like the cast had to have like Evie, like Rachel Weisz and Brendan Fraser had to have that right chemistry where you believe them and feel like it's authentic, like the organic uh, love story, because I've seen countless movies where it doesn't feel organic and it feels like it's just the plot point. And then like having the the brother and sister relationship and then also the supporting characters. So I feel like it's in that sense, I feel like I'm being objective in my assessment that it is a well-made movie and for what they were trying to do. And so while there is going to be the fair criticisms for people seeing it for the first time with some of the effects and also the storylines, if you can look, I guess, just remember that it was 1999 and like where we were then and appreciate what they were able to do with what they had, probably a smaller budget. And but what like what they brought to life was really good, in my opinion. And I don't know if I'm still I'm probably just biased. There's not many movies that I watch over and over again. And this is probably one of five movies I do. And I feel like that has to be there has to be a reason for it. And I feel like that's just movie magic and what it was able to accomplish. And and I'm not saying that my as this is one of my favorite movies, it has to be your favorite movie. 
But I do think, especially with the renaissance of Brendan Fraser and like it keeps coming up, I do think that I'm not the only one that feels this way and there has to be a reason to it. And I think it's it's that sweet spot of like they were able to create movie magic that endures. And and as a film critic, as a film lover, as a film you know nerd, it makes, it's just so special. And so I feel like if you haven't seen it, just give it a chance. And just try to keep those those elements in mind that it was 1999 with the CGI and the cultural stuff and, and try not to think of all the Marvel movies you've seen and action movies you've seen since then and maybe try to go into it in a 1999 mindset. But you, some people probably haven't even been, were born in 1999, so they might not be able to, to really put themselves in that mindset. But yeah, just go in with an open mind and I think you'll have fun regardless. Maybe it won't be your favorite movie if it's the first time you're seeing it, but I think you'll have fun. And ultimately that's what movie going is. Hopefully you'll have some fun and eat some popcorn while you're doing it and just enjoy yourself for two hours and escape. And I think this movie does that for you. There's a certain Venn diagram of of film genres. And I feel like this movie hits so many of them as we've touched on in this conversation. And especially for people, you know, like you, like me, who saw it earlier in their life, in their childhood or adolescence, like there's there's something about that, that that has stuck with you. And I think it's the amalgamation of all those elements, probably. And the application of Brendan Fraser as an action hero, which he was mostly what George of the Jungle and like yeah. man and stuff before this. So I think I think it, that was a big it was a big heel turn for him as an actor as well. Yeah. And I always think of like the Rick O'Connell, how he he himself, like usually leading men get regulated to either they're like the hunk or very serious action hero. And he was able to just like Evie, be a well-rounded character and be lots of different layers. He was handsome, funny and could kick some ass, but also was sweet and sensitive and just as nervous to talk to a girl, too. So I I don't know, maybe those all I've already rambled on too much about it. But yeah, it's why I think I, I think maybe I've always just been chasing another mummy movie of when I try to watch these blockbusters and they it's hard to do but it's yeah. hard to emulate what they were able to do with in 1999 with this film so yeah absolutely at, le- at least as of this recording both the mummy and the mummy returns are on HBO Max so if people want to check them out obviously please go do so thank you so much Catherine Gonzalez for coming to the show and bringing the mummy here uh, I would love to have you back at some point to talk another movie on this show or to, to talk about some movie franchise on my on the sister show franchise detours. So we'll have to talk about that at a later date, but let people know where they can find you and Latinx Lens on social media. Yeah. And, and thanks for having me. It was so much fun. I'm glad this was the first podcast I got to talk about the mummy for. And yeah, they can find me at things cat loves and that's C-A-T on Twitter and Instagram. And then you can follow Latinx Lens at Latinx Lens on Twitter and Instagram and latinxlens.com for more info and all our episodes. And we're, uh, you can find the podcast on all wherever you listen to your podcast. So just uh, type in Latinx Lens and we should pop up. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kat. This was a blast. And we'll definitely have you back on at some point. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Catherine Gonzalez from Latinx Lens for coming on to discuss 1999's The Mummy. If you like this, you can give us a rating or review on Apple and Spotify. Now, I want to know, what do you want to see Brendan Fraser do next? I know he's coming on as the villain in uh, the Batgirl film that's coming up. This movie was huge for his career, and now he's finally kind of on the upswing. What do you want to see Brendan Fraser do next? Let me know on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of crookedtable.com.
All rights reserved. Z R double O K E D.